0: Welcome to Nikki Peace Conundrum, and today, co-host of the is, Christian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright, good morning.
0: Uh, here we are, 2021, my man.
1: It is 2021. Crazy. Oh, man, what a year.
0: Paradigm shift in sales for sure.
1: Yeah, I think... The, the entire landscape of the globe has shifted, really, with everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, And, and I think back, and I remember when we first started uh, the conundrum way back, and you and I were online with Ryan, and we're talking, and you got, you got hammered because you had said that, you know what? Emails. Emails is the way to market. And both of us, the beginning of the pandemic, my is the very beginning of the pandemic, were hammering you. Like you don't buy anything off emails, you are taking shots, right? And at that time, it seemed like I think that most people like we were right and you were wrong. But in reality, you seen the train coming because as we fast forward. You know, I was looking at Purdue University, today, uh, they did some research on how are companies getting over this paradigm shift in sales, and they found that literally companies are up to 25% on average for their marketing budget. They're blowing that on emails because emails is the way forward. How did you see that coming? Like, how did you just called that shit? That's March of last year.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, when it comes to any type of, business operation where you're trying to maximize and sustain success, you have to, you have to be innovative, but you also have to sustain the traditional items that are time tested, time proven. And I think that that email, it, it, it's one of those things. Now I got to go back and try to clarify because there's a, a delay or sometimes a disconnect in a podcast when three people are on the hook, There was something that I think didn't get caught in in the translation and the dialogue. And that was, I wasn't saying that that cold emails, like in the sense of cold calls, where you randomly receive an email from some unknown company or organization, like you're inclined to click on that. What I was mentioning to Ryan and on that podcast is, you know, as a consumer, I'm going to put myself in consumer role for a second. So I'm looking for something, right? So I'm going to scour the internet. And, and to his credit, well, both of your credit, what I said is it's definitely a combined effort, right? Email, social media. I mean, there's so many different waves of, of marketing. And they're best when when they're together. So I wasn't saying, well, I'll email alone. But Ryan did pose the question. You know, he's very good at framing certain questions. And, and he asked, well, if you can only pick one. And I told him, like, real, I'm just being honest. This is the honesty in me. Majority of my purchases come from what I find in my inbox. But again, those emails are trusted companies that that I've, you know, subscribed to their newsletter or, you know, have tried to receive information from. So, going to the combined effort, you know, you might be on social media and, and something pops up and you're like, man, I kind of really think I need that. So then you hop on Google and you start scouring the internet and you, you figure out, you know what, here's a couple of different vendors that offer that type of item. And then you find the one that you feel the most comfortable with, the one that you feel is really gravitating more towards your needs. And you want to stay up to date on their deals and their opportunities and products. So you put your email in and now your inbox is flooded with a a wave of their emails and products and what i was telling ryan is i mean i'll tell you still to this day nothing's changed since that last podcast and this one most of my purchases come from email advertisements but majority of them they were something that i went looking for and then they're giving me access to more products that i as a consumer didn't even know that i needed but once they put it in front of me i'm like yeah you know what i might spend my money on that so i don't know if I, i necessarily predicted uh, the future, but I just think I saw a good thing that that caters to a different audience, right? So marketing, social media, and I broke this down in, in the previous podcast, the social media marketing, you have a, a younger audience there for sure, especially, you know, depending upon what platform you're marketing through, such as uh, use Instagram versus Facebook, It's it's a different age group. So if you can capitalize on the marketing features of Instagram and Facebook, and email, and paper, ad, whatever it is, now you're casting a wider net. That was what I was getting at.
0: I like it. I like we brought up social media because, and I want to say how you feel about this, there's a right way and there's a wrong way because social media, uh, the marketing on there, has really turned the tide, especially with Facebook, with their algorithms, and also with Instagram. So the wrong way to do social media advertising is Honestly, and again, I want to see your opinion on this, is to just simply just post some shit to your friends and fucking family and, and whoever else is following you on Instagram and Facebook. And actually, if you pay the little bit, because it's literally pennies, if you pay them, they'll actually, they'll actually target a market for you. You can choose 18 to 23. You can choose certain cities. You can choose certain demographics. And then all of a sudden, they'll use your budget just to to send it to those particular people and they're finding that that's more effective because getting back to a point that I always like to make that literally your friends and family like they're behind you and they want you to succeed and all that but when they see you like advertising your stuff they're kind of like ah whatever but a stranger doesn't know you I'm flipping through my Instagram feed all of a sudden I'll see um some sort of company or something like oh what's that I don't know you know who's making Kaleo products right but you know what? I, mean? I might pick one up, I'm like ah, it's a cool t-shirt, I'll make the purchase or what have you. So really, the right way to do social media, because listen, to make money, you gotta spend a little money, is to literally try that. And literally, when we talk about Instagram and Facebook, you can advertise there for like 10, 20 bucks and get hits, and they'll give you all the charts. So do you think that's um, in your mind, as you hear me say that is that the way you would tell them? Or do you think there's also a good way to hybrid it with your regular Facebook and Instagram feeds or, or whatever else you're using?
1: Yeah, so the, the filter feature is definitely important because er- every organization or product needs to know its, its target audience. So not every company is going to be a Nike where you know you can just mass market and your, your audience is from little kids to you know extremely grown adults. You might have a company or a product that has a very finite audience and you need to know how to cater to that audience and get your product in front of them. So the, the filter features with, with Facebook advertising is, is an intelligent way of just really targeting exactly what you're looking for, not wasting money with blanket marketing. It's just more strategic marketing, but what I would supplement that with, with with a lot of smaller companies, and let's just use uh, apparel or retail, for example, uh, you know, really anything that, that mirrors that. What a lot of people are doing, you mentioned this, you said friends and families, and you also s- said something about, well, I don't know you, I don't trust you. Well, that's how most consumers are, especially on social medias, because they are spammed quite a bit. They want to know that the product that they're looking at is something they can trust. And if you've got a brand new startup that nobody knows, like how does a consumer feel confident and, and how do they feel that they can trust in your product, that it's, it's quality, that it's going to arrive on time? Because if you go back several years ago, there were a lot of people that were pushing products on Facebook. This is really the, at the preliminary stages of Facebook, allowing products to be sold on their platform. And it was very common to see this where you would purchase something on Facebook and you wouldn't receive that product for like four to six months later because it was some sort of weird campaign that people hadn't seen before. So now you have a a group of skeptics and you got to learn how to navigate through the the skepticism when you're getting your product out there. So one of the best ways to do that is by building trust in your brand. And a good way to do that is through people. So this is why you've, you've seen an influx of brand representatives or brand ambassadors. So let's just say you start up a, you know, a sports nutrition shaker bottle and nobody knows who you are, and you're trying to push that product. It's a good product. You're trying to push it out there, but nobody knows you. Nobody's heard the name. Nobody trusts you. Well, you get some people that are likable, that are approachable, that have a good fan base, and you say, hey, listen, I will. we'd like to make you a brand ambassador. Essentially, all they are is a human billboard for you. And you say, we're going to flood you with some of our products. We're going to provide some sort of kickbacks on every purchase, however the, the company does it. And you press that person who has a wide audience base, who has already built that trust among a community online. You say, hey, just endorse this. It's nothing new. It's just new to social media. Uh, Just endorse this. And now you start seeing people that are getting exposed to, you know, these brand reps. And if you think about it like a like one of those old school crime maps, you know, you're linking people to to the crime. Well, if you if you put one person here who has has this circle of influence and then another person here and there's their influence and another person here, you end up just saturating the the social media platforms with your product through people that are trustworthy. So I would combine the two of those things.
0: It's interesting you brought up the ambassador thing, and I want to caution
1: listeners to this because there are
0: the ones that are pure hearted. And you're right. They'll hit you up and they'll say, hey, look, you have X amount of followers. I want you to be an ambassador for the company. And they'll send you some free stuff. There's the other ones who use it to basically beef up people's confidence just to sell their product. So, for instance, I come to you and I say, hey, Christian, check this out, man. We looked at your Instagram profile. We'd love for you to push this coffee mug. And you're like, all right, cool. I'll be an ambassador. Great. Here's the deal. Here's a one-time code, 50% off anything on the site. And they just do it so they get people to buy with no intention of actually making them ambassadors. However, you know, you're right, though, in the fact that it is out there and it's pure, but just be careful when they're telling you to pay for it because they don't really want you. They just want you to buy their shit. (laughs) Getting back, though, just quickly to the email piece. A lot of times you'll get an email, a couple paragraphs long, people aren't going to read it. If you're going to hit someone up with an email Right. If you're going to try some email marketing for your company, business, whatever you're selling, there's actually research that says people will not read a two-paragraph email. They're just not going to do it. But they'll watch a 30-second, 45-second video. And so you put a link in there or if you can embed the video and embed the video because they say that people are so in tuned right now to watching videos. Right, We're so used to YouTube and little clips on Instagram and all this. So what happens is is that even when people see a link, they said people will literally hesitantly still click the link just to see what the video is, ready to click it off it's something stupid. So people will actually watch the video. So they believe in content marketing within the email versus writing all the information out. Now, as I pass that to you, when you hear about content marketing, putting a video in the email, and you being somebody who does buy off emails, what do you think about that approach?
1: Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to casting that wide net and catering to different types of of learners right so if if you have an email that your older audience they might want to read something they might not want to listen to the you know obnoxious intro music and and all the hype behind it but a younger person might gravitate towards that so again the wide net for me i don't know i don't know how inclined i'd feel to click on a video i'm definitely more inclined to click on a photo than I am just to read through a couple of paragraphs of text. So I can see that being a very valid point. Maybe an even younger audience than than myself would love to see a video, but I know you and I have, have done a study on this in the past where we talk about the attention span of most people online and it can gravitate anywhere between seven to nine seconds. So if you are a marketing firm, which they know this, or you're, you're a small business that's trying to tackle, and take on your own marketing agenda, well, you got to understand that people have a very short attention span. And if you're pushing a video out there and it doesn't captivate them immediately, they might just scroll on and you lost an opportunity there. Now they might not even go back to the original email for any text that wasn't that, you completely lost that, that uh, audience member. So you have to have something that, you, one, you got to know your audience and you got to know how to keep their attention.
0: Yeah, so the key takeaways there is if you're not using email marketing, it's the thing, right? You're already behind the power curve. I utilize social media, obviously with targeted marketing. And then again, if you can make something compelling, right, a quick, compelling video, maybe a try. You can't hurt. You can't lose what you don't have. i tell you this, though. To switch gears a little bit. I, I watch, and I know, I know you don't like it a lot of times when I, when I make football references, but I think I look at the salesman today and I think the salesman today needs to be hungrier, right? Because I believe if you go to work every day and you give 100% and you pound that phone and you, you, you meet any contact you possibly can and utilize all your your facets, I believe it spills over to your personal life. I think when you get more ambitious in one, I believe it carries over to the other. And today's kid... What I'm noticing as they're growing up, I notice it in football, and it's my best reference to it, okay? There's a quarterback, his name's Tua Tagovailoa. Now, he's a brand new kid out of college, he plays the Miami Dolphins, and he's the perfect example of the salesman that we have today, and what we need to curb, and we'll talk about that. You see, Tua is the quarterback of the team. Now, he has a backup who's a veteran, Guy who's been around the block, Christian, is named Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now Fitzpatrick, we call him a journeyman, a guy who's never really going to keep a team forever. He's just that old school motherfucker who's going to throw the ball down the field and say, "Fuck it, I'll give you everything." Throw all the spaghetti against the wall, right? It's like you know, it's the month, it's the week that we have to you know make our bottom line, and just throwing all the spaghetti against the wall. He's the dude throwing the spaghetti, right? He's that guy in the office who says, "You know what? Watch this. I got ten to make too. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you throw them all up there. So, uh, Tua in the last quarter, last drive, team down. He gets benched for the journeyman, and the journeyman comes back and wins. And Tua is okay with it. And I and I think it's because we we reward the mediocrity when they're very young, and they're just okay with just uh eh, chilling, uh getting by. When in reality, I think it's a like cobra Kai, right? You strike hard, you strike first, no mercy. You get out there, you hit it, and you go the fuck home. You don't get you to know, the office Now that and reference chill. I can get.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now you're speaking my language.
0: And so what happens is that we have to get engaged. And unfortunately, it takes that sales manager to kind of take these youngins in and groom them to be that hungry person. So it's not just so much directing effort as much as you're managing effort, as much as you're creating ambition, you're creating passion, you're getting excited about the job. And so sometimes it's, you know, as a sales manager, you have two jobs, you have the management piece and you have the motivation piece.
1: Yeah, you know, you've mentioned something in the past on several episodes where you talked about how younger people today, are more comfortable and complacent with renting as opposed to buying. And I think that that rolls into exactly what we're talking about here. And then we can even go one step further and we can talk about the youth that grew up with particip- participation, trophies, where it's like, yeah, you don't really have to be good. You don't really have to hustle and grind. You don't really have to put your best foot forward, just show up and we're going to give you a trophy And and that might seem like a very noble thing to do for a young kid. But in the long run, I think that we're damaging their tenacity. We're We're not fostering it. We're not developing it. We're not growing it. We're saying, hey, you know what? It's okay to be mediocre. And so I've seen that in the sales realm where mediocrity is so much more accepted today than what it was 10, 15 years ago. And as a sales trainer, sales manager, that is always, I think, the hardest thing to do is to instill a deep-seated desire to succeed at the highest levels in somebody. Because it's just like if you were to canvas a a group of 100 people in the United States and you would ask them, like, hey, would you like to have six-pack abs? Would you like to have those King Leonidas abs from 300? And they say, yeah, of course I do. I want to be fit. I want to be in shape. I mean, it's January 2nd. You and I both know that the gyms are probably flooded, the gyms that are open – and you have these people that create these New Year's resolutions. They want to get fit, right? So if you canvass a group of people, they're going to say, yes, I want to be in shape. Yes, I want to have a six-pack app. But the, the separation here between uh, want and action is most people want something, but they're not willing to do what it takes to get there. Most people want those six-pack abs, but they're not willing to wake up early and go to the gym. They're not willing to adjust their diet and meal plan. So I think the same is true for the modern day salesperson, like they all want to make money, but are they really committed to making sacrifices and going above and beyond and really trying to step into their, their true potential? One thing that I teach a lot with salespeople is comfort versus capacity. And, and what I mean by that is most people, we live in a society where people, they, they lean more towards wanting to, to work comfortably as opposed to working towards their capacity. There's a difference, right? You know, people can limit themselves and and when you work to your comfort levels, as opposed to your capacity, you're never going to see the type of success that you could if you really push yourself and give hundred percent, 100% of the time and really step into your capabilities. So you have people that live to their comfort levels and then you have people that live to their capacity. Capacity is always going to take you further, but capacity that, that environment is rarely comfortable. But on the back end of that discomfort is high levels of success. So when you take a a team of people on in in a sales force, and if you can really focus on trying to cultivate that capacity mindset, like, listen, stop being mediocre. Stop accepting what's comfortable. Stop accepting what you think you're capable of and really step into what you can do uh, when somebody takes you and leads you and presses you to, you know, those deep waters. So I think there's a lot of truth in, in what you said. The modern day salesperson, they don't have that grit. They don't have that grind. They don't have that desire to just see how good they can get. And when they get really good, they don't have that desire to see how much better they can get. And when they get better, they don't have that desire to see how great they can become. And when they get to great, they don't have that desire to see if they can become a legend in in their industry. Mm, I love it.
0: You know, and I'm not a guy who's going to say to anybody, you know, always oh, do more, do more, do more. Now, if you're doing nothing, you got to do something. But I, I hate the whole do more attitude. And so what I wanted to think about, too, is that not so much beat down the current salesman, right? Man, I'm getting old, man, you know what I mean? I'm becoming my father over here, you know, down on the new generation. But how do we <laughs> get them better? And I think one thing on the sales and I want to say the you, Bill, is that the sales manager piece is that we miss is I believe that a lot of them out there are directing effort. I believe a lot of them out there are doing the good initial training to get them there. But what I believe is not happening is reinforcement training. It's almost like once you hit a certain point – I'm done training with you. I'm done even, and they don't like the word role-playing or anything like that, but I'm done doing anything with you, right? I'm not going to observe your stuff. I'm not going to give you any notes. I'm kind of just going to be like, hey, good job, because I know you're a two-to-one, three-to-one, whatever the case may be. So I'm going to kind of hands off, and I think that's very bad. Now, I believe that you need to watch me do my job. You have to literally give me a piece of paper that says what I did good, What I did poorly, how we're going to go forward. And the reason for that is because it tells your salesperson, you give a fuck. It tells your salesperson that I'm involved. What you're doing is important. You are being watched, but it's in a positive way. But sometimes the sales managers come and they say, well, look, I got five guys on the team. I can't be there. I don't know if it's ever going to get to an actual sales pitch because I don't know if the customers going to be qualified or whatever the case may be. I believe uh, that you can do, and I'll tell you the reason why, but you can literally, I can sit here and do an evaluation of your sales process without ever seeing the customer you deal with them. I hear what you say. I can always call the customer and be like, hey, I'm just quality control, following up and get their side of the story. And then I can follow up and be like, listen, this is what you said, this is what they said, here's what I'm thinking, this is the way forward and good. Now, a lot of sale, sales like, like salespeople out there would argue and be like, well, you know, that doesn't really work. Or even the sales manager say, well, that doesn't really feel right because I have to be there. If you have to be there. To fix the problem, to understand the problem, to get two sides understand it. If that's true, then we need to fucking go to every single marriage counselor's office and fire them. We need to go to every single counselor's office for children and fire them. Because last time I fucking checked, when you go to marriage counseling, the marriage counselors are never actually there with you in your living room. They hear your side. They hear her side. They give you a synopsis, and they give you a way forward. And they fucking, for the large majority, fucking work. And that's the same thing here. I can literally hear you give me the debrief. I can literally call the person just say, hey, look, you came in for a car. Just seen how the process went. Yeah, do we answer your questions? Uh, Anything crazy? Anything we missed? Anything we could do better? All right, he, you know, here's our number in case you don't have it. And then I know, and I can say, look, I know what you said, but this is what the person said, and I'm not saying to be right wrong, but I think the way forward is do X, Y, or Z. How do you feel about all that shit I just said?
1: Yeah, as a manager, a sales manager, you have to have your head on a swivel, constantly looking for opportunities to improve. You owe that to your your sales force. You know, if your sales force is there, and you know that they're the front lines of the organization. And you as a sales manager, you're put in place not to just oversee them, but to, to, to make and create improvements and, and to capitalize on opportunities to give back to your sales force. So if you're not looking for those opportunities, if you're not taking every, every chance that you can get to just, I mean, spot check or provide some sort of wisdom or you know, new, new ways of doing things or, or even something as simple as feedback. I mean, feedback alone is important. Like, hey, you know, I I saw that you did this, this, and this, and those things worked really well for you. I'd encourage you to keep that in your sales process. That was really, you know, encouragement, reinforcement, things like that. Uh, They're they're critical. They're critical to the growth and development of a salesperson. And and let me just put a a warning out there for sales managers that are listening in on this podcast. I remember being a young salesperson and I was hungry. I, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be the best. And I came out of the gates and was a top-performing salesman, but I never really learned a whole lot. I was getting by on my grit and my desire and, and hustle, and that, that only takes you so far. I mean, it's a critical ingredient, but at some point, you've got to get really good with your product knowledge. You've got to get really good with understanding people and how to communicate to different audiences. And for me, I was, I was thriving because I came out of the gates like a ball of fire, And eventually I I started to hit a plateau and I started realizing like, man, nobody's trained me. Nobody has taught me some of these, these critical aspects of my, my career, my job, my profession, nobody's mentored me because they saw this young, hungry salesperson who who was outperforming most people by him. And so they left me alone, which I love. I love being left alone, but I still needed some coaching. I know still needed some development so I would tell that to all the sales managers if you have that that firecracker uh, that works for you that from day one was just very articulate, very energetic, a go-getter, hungry, you cannot you cannot neglect training and development for that young person because they need it. And they may not might not need it right now, but there is going to come a point to where they're going to need it and if you have let several months or even, you know, a year or two go by but without proper training and development that young salesperson is going to find themselves in, in a very difficult situation that they could have easily navigated through had you taken the time to really train and mentor them.
0: Yeah. And what you just did there is something I wanted to bring up too, is that, so when you told the story, you see, we as human beings, since the beginning, so humans could talk, right? We told stories and people love stories. People love to hear stories. Ever since we're little fucking children trying to go to bed, right? We love to hear stories. And you did something very key, and I'm glad you did it, is you did a little bit of contrast to it, right? You kind of didn't just tell the story of this is what happened to me. You also told the contrast of had I had this, had this have happened, how different would it be? And I bring that up because that is a great tip for anybody who, in the sales because when you're sitting there and you're trying to tell the story, right, and you tell your story, you tell, uh, you tell, know, you're getting the customer engaged, add contrast to it because it's one thing to say, you know, When I first bought my own home, this happened, that happened, this is end result. But what if I didn't? What if I didn't sign that paper? And this is how my life would have progressed. Let me tell you about Jimmy, you know what I mean? And you tell a different story, right? That little bit of contrast or what could have happened. And then ultimately people will attach to that more because not a lot of people talk, tell stories, but also give contrast to it. So that's a very key thing. So I appreciate you telling the story just that way because, like, damn, that's really good. And that's why we should tell stories.
1: Yes, sir. So now
0: when we talk about um, listening and talking, sometimes the, the customer is very introverted. And so to give some tips to the, sales t- uh, sales, uh, the salesman today, it kind of sucks because you, you're, you're told, okay, listen more than you talk. Yet this motherfucker isn't talking, right? So it's kind of hard for me to sit here and listen when this dude's not talking. So one way to do it is to encourage two-way conversation. So for instance, when you're giving your pitch, when you're telling about the different features or what have you, you're going through the gambit of your sales pitch. You know, just ask them a a question, just an open-ended question to get them engaged in conversation. You know, how do you think this would fit in your life? You know, tell me a little more about that. I'm interested, you know, and get them to kind of, as you give them a pitch, you kind of get a, try and get as detailed of an answer from them to get them used to talking because the introverted, I'm sure you've seen it. The customer is getting more introverted, right? And so we have to open them up and sometimes encouraging the two-way conversation uh, is the best way to go? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's good. And and people that are listening in that have encountered that type of customer, there are some salespeople that freak out. You know, they they freeze up, they panic because they are so used to trying to extract information out of somebody. And when you have that introverted person, that introverted customer in front of you that just isn't giving up a whole lot of information, first thing you got to do is you got to stay composed. You got to be confident. And stay composed and rely on your skills rely on the tools that people have instilled in you so i agree open in the questions or why loaded questions i think people are typically pretty good at explaining the why and sometimes you have to ask it you know a question in in multiple ways to really get the why out of them but it's, it's a funny thing if you have a conversation with somebody usually this works a little bit better on somebody who's a little bit more extroverted but if you have a conversation with somebody and you're really trying to get to know what they want or, or just a deeper understanding of, of their topic and you just ask them why, and when they give you the why and you ask them why again, uh, or, or or better, better example, what else? Like, what are you looking for in life? And they tell you, okay, well, what else? And what else? And the funny thing is people will keep giving you more. And, And Nick, I know that you have been with me to better buzz coffee in San Diego, one of my favorite coffee spots, shout out to them. But I started noticing this, and you know that they were trained to do this. As a as a salesperson, somebody in the industry, like I could pick it up. I'm like, okay, they've been trained to do this. You pull up to the the uh, what do you call it? Man, I'm at a loss for words. Where are you t- where you're drive- placing your yeah, the drive through right? window. Oh, there you go. Thank you, drive through window. But it's not the window; it's just the the big board with the speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyhow, you say, I'd like a, a large vanilla latte, and they will ask you, "What else can I get you?" and and something as simple and subtle as that. What else, instead of just a, a, a improperly loaded question? You, there's some customers that might feel inclined to say, "Well, um, let me get one of those bowls as well." And yeah, like Taco else?
0: Bell, will say, "Will that complete your order?" Right. Like yeah. They try and cut you off. You're right. And so opening it up a little bit.
1: Big difference, right? Will that complete your order? Or is that all? <laughs> what else can I get you? Uh-huh. Very subtle, very simple. Like, well, shoot. Uh, there, there's a couple other things <laughs> on the menu that do look good. Maybe I will add this. And some people almost feel inclined to have to give you an appropriate response to the, the way the question was framed. If, if somebody, like you said, they, they asked you, does that complete your order? Yes. Boom. Sales over. Yeah. But what else can I get you? Wow, I wasn't thinking about that, but now I am, you know, because you framed the question the right way. Uh-huh. So, little, little subtle things like that, you know, they can help take an introverted person and, and extract more information. Letting them know that you just genuinely want to know about what they care about and what they need. Sometimes that introverted person, they're introverted. Because of genetics, you know, it's hardwired into them. That's just the way that they are, the way they grew up. That's what their environment was. But there are also people that come off as being introverted. And it's because they're terrified of salespeople. They don't trust them. So that's where establishing a really strong relationship early on is so important. Because those introverted people, they feel a little bit more inclined to offer up information. And even if it's a little bit, that can sometimes be enough to to close a deal.
0: So I have a, uh, an avenue of approach that's kind of different, and I want to see what you think about it. And this avenue of approach uh, is new, and the idea behind it is so many times when, when you deal with a company, deal with a salesman, whatever, they act like they only talk about their product, their place, that's it, and they pretend like nothing else exists. And so they know the customer knows that there is competition, but they never really address it. Now, it could be dangerous, So I want to pitch this to you. And what it is, is first you praise the competitors. Then you even go as far as to acknowledge your limitations. And then you show value parity and a value wedge. So the idea is, look, so let's just say you're at the Mazda dealership, right? Okay, we're selling fucking Miatas over here. So here we are. We're at the Mazda dealership. I'm like, look, not for nothing, you know? You got Chevy over here. You got Dodge down there. Great companies, right? You're not giving them new information. They didn't drive down the road fucking blindly, not realize they're there, right? And my limitation is this. I got this tiny-ass fucking Miata, right? This bigger car's over there for the same price, right? I got it. And then, because what you're doing, the idea is what you're doing is you're making the people buy into you because you seem really fucking honest. Because you didn't down the competition. You were the one who brought it up. By the way, you praised them. And you said the limitations you have that you know they either know or can find out any given moment, right? The other dealership won't believe that you told them the limitations you have because with every company, you have your left and right lateral limits that might be more broad uh, at other places. And then that's when you bring in the value parity, in value wedge and what they talk about is you do value parity which is look no matter what dealership you go to you're gonna get X Y Z B and A but here's the best part here and the reason why you should buy here is and you give them that value wedge what do you have or what way do you can you give them this deal that nobody else can and they and the idea is is that when you do this The customer buys into you because you seem honest. It's going to be the same information to get over there. They probably won't believe you gave it to them. And ultimately, they're going to buy into your value wedge because they realize that, look, you know, you took all the words from them. Like, I can't say to you, well, you know me, I'll check out Dodge. You just told me Dodge is a good dealership. Fuck, you told me Dodge can do for me. You know, I'll be checking out Dodge as well. You think I'm lying, think they can't do that for you? And so it gets them in the zone. So how do you feel about actually literally bringing up cold, the competitors, right? praising them, acknowledging limitations, and then showing the value parity, but finishing with the wedge. What do you
1: think about that? Yeah, I think that you actually addressed this a moment ago with the way that I was telling a story, and that's providing contrast. I think that that's essentially what you're doing is you're putting something in front of your customer and you're saying, hey, here's other options. And you're not afraid of them. I think that that shows confidence in your brand when when you're willing to talk about other brands. Because people are they are so used to going to a competitor and hearing all the negativity coming out of that competitor's mouth about the other competitor. And so sometimes people become jaded by that experience of like, man, why can't you just talk about your brand without talking bad about theirs? So it's a breath of fresh air when a customer meets with a competitor who is actually not talking bad or downplaying another product, but I will say this is definitely a much more advanced approach to sales. I don't know if a brand new salesperson will be able to nail it without punting the sales into the stands, but with proper training and reinforcement, they absolutely can. But I think the value in that is you make yourself relatable, you make yourself more personable, you make yourself more trustworthy. And I think you do, you create this higher level of confidence in your own brand when you're willing to talk good about other people and other products. So just like you said, if you're talking about Chevy or Ford and you're talking about some of their accolades or, or that it is a good product. And, and then you, you create that contrast. Well, here's what they offer. And here's what we offer, but here's the separation. Here's the difference here. And that's when, by that point, I would assume your hooks are already in. And, and when I say hooks, your, your hooks of trust are already in, you've built that, that trust and relationship. Cause I'm like, man, This person is talking about other brands in a way that I've never heard a salesperson talk about. In fact, I just came from Chevy and all they were doing was talking trash on Mazda. Like, why is that? Maybe that's an insecurity in their brand. So I think it can be perceived a very, very certain way based upon how you talk about your competitors. So I like it. I, I don't think it's bad. I just think that you need to, there is a fine line you have to walk. Cause what you, if you're a good salesperson, what you don't want to do is you don't want to sell the other product.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And there's two rules just, just for the wedge. show. it's gotta be unique. So you gotta make sure the wedge is unique and you got to make sure it's defensible, which means if someone calls you out and says, are you sure you do it that way? You got to make sure you can like back it up. <laughs> Cause if not, you just got a bunch of value parity and like, fuck, I'll just go to the next guy. Uh, so now how do you feel about this? Uh, so when people deal with salesmen, one thing that makes the salesman's words go in one ear and out the other is when we agree with everything. See, a lot of times we like to just agree with them. Like if they say it's cold outside, we like to agree with it. If they like to say, you know, anything, we like to agree with the customer. We hate to ever disagree. They find, now this is, this is a study now, we found that if we deal with the customer and we don't always agree, we'll have the retention more. So for instance, if a customer says to me, he's like, you know what? You know, you know that, uh, that interest rate's a little high. Nah, that's nah, not high. Let me, let me show you why. And I can disagree with you, show you, keep a nice tone. Or maybe it's just, hey, they just, we're, we're, we're talking outside and they're like, I like red. So many times, like, yeah, red's a great color. Look, if the motherfucker wants red, I'll sell him red. But I want to show them that I'm engaged in conversation, not yesing them to death. They're not used to being like, "Mm, I think green's your color. I mean, you can get red. Well, I'm just saying green's your color. You know what I mean? Or, Or something like that. And what it does is it's not going to help sell the products and get them more in tune to listening to you because they realize that you're not just yesing them to death. Right, you're willing to conflict because literally, if I go right now to a dealership and or anything, right, and I, I any anywhere, and I start talking about things, usually the the, the salesman because they don't want to lose me wants to be so relatable and likable they just start agreeing to fucking anything, you know. The weather sucks. The weather sucks. The weather is great. The weather is great. I love the rain. Fuck, I love the rain. You know what I mean. Uh, so, do you feel like sometimes disagreeing little things throughout the product it doesn't have to be as big as the interest rate, right? I just brought that up because first it popped in my fucking head. But do you do you agree that maybe that can help out the conversation, or do you find that to be something that could be irrelevant?
1: No, I I agree a hundred percent with that. I think that the the platform that a salesperson has to stand on is honesty. You've got to be an honest an honest broker. So when somebody comes to you know looking for your product be honest, be honest about, you know, their needs and their desires and their wants. You have to, there's, there's so many little intricacies to sales. This is what fascinates me about it. You know, when some people venture into sales and they're like, Oh my gosh, I hate it It's because they never really understood the depth that occurs in sales. Cause there's so many little things, something as simple as, okay, you have to, you have to understand your customer. You have to quickly get to know them and understand how they operate. So, You might disagree with somebody once and they give you some pushback and then you disagree again and they start to become almost aggressive or hostile towards you. That might be a good sign. Okay, this is not the customer to keep disagreeing with. But then other customers, and I would argue the majority of customers, they're coming to you for your expertise. You have to be the expert. So if a customer is saying, well, I want a red car and you're like, yes, a red car is good. And you know that, that maybe a, a silver car, and I'm just making this up here, a silver car, it, it retains its value better. You owe it to the customer to say, you know what, I, I definitely respect the fact that you know red is the color that you gravitate towards, but just some food for thought for you. I wanted to let you know that when you think about possibly selling this car later on down the road, this color and this color tends to hold its value a little bit better. Be honest with the customer, they're there. They're seeking your expertise. If, if you're just a yes man or a yes person and all you're doing is agreeing with them, you're not the expert anymore. You, you're, you're on the same level as the customer, not in terms of understanding and, and relatability. You're on the same level in expertise at that point with the customer. So be the expert. It's okay to disagree with them. You have to be tactful about it. You have to be intelligent about it, but you have to be honest and you have to always move from a position of caring about what's in their best interest. Now, how do you feel about this?
0: A lot of salespeople get too excited when they start feeling that a customer is going to buy, right? They're going to say yes. And so they start speaking to the sales process. Now, how do you feel about this? Abandoning that ship and then speaking to the journey at that point. So so what the idea is is that if I'm selling you on – Buying a house, let's just say, you're going to buy this house, you're in, you're like, this is the one I want, and immediately we start talking about the paperwork and the way forward. Find that, instead, speak to the journey, speak to the 10, 20-year plan, speaking to that to get them more enticed, and speaking to that journey to really grab them, because so many times we end, we get a little bit of interest, boom, and we start talking about sales process, when in reality they said that's the time to grab them, and talk about that four, eight, 10-year, whatever your plan, depending on whatever you're talking about, right? You know, having that car for so many years and trading it in or whatever the case may be to further entice them. They say that was so many times that we taste the blood and we just attack the gazelle. And in reality, not really, really selling, them, just talking about that journey, talking them through it. You know, what do you plan on doing when you own this house? So let's say a 10-year mark. Do you plan on having like a, a fucking fence back there? Are you going to do this, that, whatever? And just further just drag them in. So how do you feel about that? Or do you think that as soon as you smell that blood, just talk about the sales process and get it over with? Or do you feel there is value in furthering the journey just to get them more enticed?
1: I That's a tough one, Nick. I think that you, you use the term sales process. I think the journey has to be included in the sales process. So it really depends upon how how you lay out your sales process. If it were me, I agree with you. There's value in the journey. There's value in putting that person in the moment with your product. You use, you use the home, for example. Put them there. Put them there. And, and as a salesperson, you have to be a vivid storyteller. You have to be able, you have to be able to bring somebody's imagination uh, as close to reality as possible. So put them there in your sales process. You know, if you're extracting certain needs or desires or wants that somebody has and you're showing them how this product you know, is, is gonna satisfy those needs or those desires, elaborate upon them, put them in the moment, explain the journey to them. I do think that, and this is why I said it's tough, you know, when when a customer is ready to commit, when a customer is ready to move forward in the process, when a customer is ready to let you close a deal, you have to seize that opportunity. But the salesperson has to know when that time is right to even ask for the the time to move forward. So uh, all that to say, it's tough to really articulate how to answer that. But I I think that the journey has to be embedded in the sales process before you start to move somebody forward. Because like you said, if you just get them on the brink of of saying yes to your product and you're like, okay, good. I I smell it. I hear it. I, I sense it. And then you close on that and next thing you know, they're pan- in panic mode. Buyer's remorse hits them like a brick in the face and they're freaking out and moving backwards. It's like, oh, you know what? If you, if you look at any deal that you lose, it, it usually, you didn't lose it at the, the point of asking for their, their, their service. They're their, their, uh, asking for the sale. You lost it several steps ago. Like there's something you overlooked, something you didn't listen to, something you didn't present. You typically can trace it back several steps before trying to close on somebody.
0: Last one I got for you, and I want to see if you find any value in this, is they say you should always try to align your sales pitch to marketing. And what they mean by that is knowing what your company's doing out there for commercials and then actually referencing it. And if they haven't seen it, showing them the marketing and then continuing the sales pitch. And they found that that speaks to people because it shows that well, it must be genuine because he's even talking about it. Most times people may even know the commercial you're talking about or knowing the advertisement or whatever. Do you find any value in aligning it to the, to the marketing or do you think that kind of can, they can be completely separate?
1: Absolutely. It's, it's one voice. You have to create a brand voice within a company or an organization and you have marketing managers and marketing agencies that, you know, are spending a tremendous amount of time and money on to align the marketing strategy with what the company, what the organization, what the product is. Now, if there's a disconnect between your marketing your, your marketing agency, your organization, or, or staff, and your sales trainer, sales manager, staff, well, you're always going to have a, a broken delivery. So what needs to happen is you have marketing, and you have sales, and you merge the two, right? So the, the, the sales manager or sales trainer, a combination of the two, they, they unify those efforts and they say, hey, listen, here's the latest advertisement we push out. Here's our latest marketing campaign. Here's how you embed it in your product pitch. And, and it should be like a, a beating of a drum that the customer hears over and over and over. If they hop on social media, they're like, oh, that's what the brand is about. That's what the product is about. When they hop on YouTube and there's a video that pops up or an advertisement, oh, that's what the brand's about. That's what the product's about. When they get on the phone or meet face-to-face with the salesperson, same thing. That's what the product is. That's what the brand is about. And it's this this united echo all the way across the process. And it, it just creates a much, a much better delivery of, of who the product is and what it's meant to do. And it makes it more believable and it just makes it more honest. Nice.
0: Well, comes to our end my friend I appreciate you coming on here sharing your expertise with us uh, did you have any closing thoughts before I let you go
1: on the subject of sales sure. no
0: uh, what other subjects do you have
1: I don't, but <laughs> I just I think the whole world is is wanting to know what's going to happen what's going on with this pandemic with getting vaccines out mm. with the election I mean goodness Nick Have you ever seen the world in so much chaos in in your lifetime?
0: No, I have not. I have not. And that's actually something I wanted to bring you back for is uh, I had two, I had two, two topics ready to go. Uh, One, I was going to bring in the whole religion piece uh, in in a very uh, unique way. And then also the pandemic. So hopefully I can have you back on here. We can kind of really dive into what 2021 is going to bring and uh, yeah, and dive in a little bit in a different angle, right? of religion and see uh and see where we end up because with uh, you anything can happen when it comes to those.
1: <laughs> so so I got to get your prediction. Sure. Will 2021 be better than 2020?
0: Huh? <laughs> oh. Well, I see it going two different ways. A part of me thinks that 6 months into 2021 you won't even remember COVID. COVID will just disappear just as fast as it came. Right? Everyone get vaccinated. and Everyone will forget about it. Uh, also, too, you know, because again, we're starting a new regime. Life is okay. <sighs> uh, I don't know. Part of me thinks Joe Biden's gonna die, and uh, not not for really anything bad. Just he's just old. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And we got President Kamala. Yeah, and I just don't know how that's, that's gonna end up. Is. I'm not. I'm not a guy. I mean, it's whatever. It's just I. I don't know what that brings.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I asked you, because it's there's so much uncertainty right now. So much uncertainty in the world with this this global pandemic. The whole world has been watching our entire election process unfold. And how'd that go? (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be interesting because, you know, the reason why I asked that question is because I see it all over Facebook and social media where people are so ready to put 2020 behind them. And then I see some people they are like, I don't know if 2021 is going to be any better. So mm-hmm. brace for impact. And other people are optimistic and they're like, 2021, can't wait to put 2020 behind us. It's going to be a great year. And there's just a lot of uncertainty. So I wanted to know what the, the mind of Nikki P well, was thinking.
0: I say we're going to know really well in February 1st. And I said it too, because we got to get through January and the whole transition of power. But you got to give it a few weeks. I believe we'll have a better snapshot. February 1, we wake up. And I believe you'll already be on pace to be whatever it is. So if it's tailing downward, you know, walking around mop suits, eh, then we're fucked, right? But <laughs> if February 1st comes in and we've already started getting the vaccines out there and you see places start opening up, then I think it's going to be a bright future. But I really believe it's going to take February 1 because we've got to get past the transition of power. And then we got to give it a few weeks to see what happens with the ca- vaccine because that's going to come pretty quickly this month. So which brings yeah. us to February. And I think February 1, when you asked me that question, I think it would already be foretold. I think once it does the incline to the decline, it's just going to stay the, stay the course.
1: <laughs> Did you hear about in California? Good thing you and I moved out of California, but I guess California, there's a new strain of COVID. The one that came from, yes. I think somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Can so yeah. you imagine if this thing just mutates? Well, that's and, usually
0: what they do. It's just, are they going to be as deadly? Right. Cause the flu virus, you know, changes mutates. There's only different strand every fucking time. Oh, man. I, it's it's one of those things where, what are we going to do? Like, is it going to be worse, right? Is it going to take more lives than the original COVID? Well, if not, then it's just like fucking the flu, right? So it takes some lives. It's not going to take some lives. Who gives a shit? The problem is the COVID-19 name, the COVID name, scares the shit out of motherfuckers. Yeah. So we got to rename it something friendlier. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the fluffy marshmallow virus. Yeah, so-
0: yeah, that's it fluffy mosh, dude. I just got the fluffy mosh. I'm coming to work today. No, I think we're going to be fine. I think that we'll, we'll calm the fuck down eventually. I, I'd like to think that you're not going to wear masks everywhere you fucking go, all across the fucking world. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. You know, and, 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 just, and just take it with a grain of salt. When we think back to when COVID had hit, right, uh, when you know President Trump had said, oh, it's not real or whatever because here's the deal. It wasn't necessarily doing that. Just no, it was not fathomable that a thing like that was real, you know? And there was so many Americans who banded behind them believing it wasn't real because it just seemed unfathomable that our freedoms were going to get compromised. The entire world was under this. You just felt like, nah, that, that can't be. Even though what's happening it can't be. But I will tell you this. Strain COVID-1, I didn't know a motherfucker who had it. Strain COVID-2, I could fucking fill a book. I know a ton of people got COVID. Now, no one died, thank Christ, right? But dude, I know a lot of people got COVID the second time. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it definitely is a real thing. Um, I just don't know that it's as deadly or will be as deadly. I think it's just kind of like a thing. We'll get our vaccines. You'll get your COVID shot. or You'll get you know, like, you know, the flu shot, right? Get your COVID shot every year. And uh, maybe we'll combine the two. I don't know if that's safe or not. You know, because we get a flu shot every year, right? Yeah. Get your COVID shot. You know what I mean? I think that'll
1: become the, the new norm.
0: Which isn't bad. I mean, how bad is getting a flu shot? It's not bad.
1: You know, no, COVID
0: shot one arm, flu shot the other arm.
1: Marshmallow <laughs> shot in the leg.
0: Marshmallow <laughs> shot in the leg. You'll be good. I think we're going to be okay. I think 2021, by the close of 2021, um, I, th- I think that February will know, but I think by the close of 2021, either which way, we should be in a better spot because, again, the vaccine will be distributed, things will calm the fuck down, and the world will hopefully get back on track. <sighs> and then, fuck, then Ivanka Trump will start campaigning, and then it'll be all a bunch of shit show from there.
1: Yeah, I- Ivanka and, oh gosh, what's her name?
0: I don't know, I was hoping it was can to someone's, but it's not.
1: Yeah, that's who I was thinking, Candace it's, Owens.
0: No, it's not though. Did you yeah. hear that for sure? Those two? No.
1: No, but no, I'd I vote hoping. for Candace Owens. Sh- shameless and admittance right there that uh, I'd vote for. I-, I like her politics. Yeah,
0: Candace is a fucking wild one. I love it. Um, yeah, but we'll we'll see what happens. So how about you? Do you, I, I, do, you do you think do you think we're gonna make it out of this? What do you think?
1: <sighs> yeah, t- I think I think we'll be all right. I think we're we're too smart. We're too good of a nation to not, you know, we, we have our, our bumps, but I think we'll be okay. I think I wouldn't be vintage Jimmy if I didn't throw this out there, but in to quote a a classic movie, Bill and Ted's, we just got to be excellent to each other. That's it. You know, we get, don't get so wrapped up in politicians because politics, if you don't believe there's corruption in in politics, you haven't been around. You've been living in a hole. Uh, But but the American people just have to be good to each other.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for your time, my man. Hope I'll have you back on here soon. Yes, all- sir. <laughs> it's been another edition of
1: Mickey Peas Conundrum.